Amen. Good morning, everybody. This is the uh, second installment uh, in the series, We the Church. And um, Bill Heibel said this. He said, there's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. There's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about Father Greg Boyle and the parish that is planted right smack dab in the, in the middle of the most gang-infested two square miles in the United States. And for over 30 years, Father Boyle and his people have been reaching out into this community, and, and they've become a catalyst for healing, a catalyst for reformation, of lives, the catalyst for just so much uh, life to flow into that very dark place. I, I think about how in the middle of one of the darkest cities in the world, which is Calcutta, India, the very center in that city, there is a place of absolute healing. Mother Teresa's ministry is, is, is positioned right in the center of this and, 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 and the, the dead and the dying, somebody actually goes out and finds them and carries them and brings them to a place where they receive human touch and healing and prayer and care. There's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. But when the local church isn't working right, it hurts people. When the local church isn't working right, it messes you up. It's why some of us in this room have exited the local church at some point in time in the past. It's why we wondered if we could ever trust this institution again. And so it's so important that we get it right. I didn't think I'd ever be connected to a church again. But here we are. We cannot mess this one up. As far as I'm concerned, we can't mess it up. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Calgary, and my sisters and my brother and I, we, we threw a surprise 60th birthday party for my parents. And actually, it was mostly my sister, to be really honest. Um, and uh, we, we invited their friends, and we invited their relatives, and, and, and about 100 people came. Many of these people immigrated from Germany around the same time and with my, my mom and dad. And the venue that we used was their church, was the church that I grew up in. And so the, the, the people poured into the building, and it was, it was people that were part of my life for the first 24 years of my life because then I went off to Bible school and pastored elsewhere. But these people we journeyed to, they knew me before I knew them. It was really interesting as they came in, we, I had a chance to greet them, say hello. Some of these people taught me Sunday school some of these people, when I was in Boys' Brigade, I don't know if that even remember that, but they, they took us camping. We were a poor community, but we were a tight community. Some of these guys, and, and you know, they're, they're really little now. 
They're all white-haired. The room is a sea of white hair and little hobbits. And, and I remember thinking to myself, looking at this, these people, and it was really kind of push, because I used to be terrified of some of these men. You see, I worked with many of them in the same construction company, and they bossed me around all the time in German. They bossed me around because I was a laborer and then I was an apprentice and, and I had no rank whatsoever. And then they bossed me around church because I was always getting in trouble. And here they are. Now they're so little, I could squash them like a bug. <laughs> I actually found myself experiencing presence and joy. I had time to visit with all of them, say hello. And over and over and over again, you hear this, Ah, Eddie, I remember when you was just a little boy. Now look. Ach, Eddie. And the Germans are not known for their, 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 their filters. Okay, they kind of just say what they think. I don't know if you've discovered that. And this one guy goes, Ach, Eddie. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember when you were skinny. And now look at you. I wanted to say to him, oh, Kurtian, I remember when you were a normal size. Now look, you're just a, you're a little garden gnome now. <laughs> little white-haired garden gnome. Look at you, kind of garden smack. <laughs> and I wondered why, see, ever, since I was 24, I've gone back and preached at that church once a year. And I'm 57. And it takes only a moment or so, and you get reconnected. And I wonder why the connection is the way it is with these people who are my parents' age. Why, why is it? And, and, and I thought about it a lot as I was thinking about this talk. And I think it's because we journeyed together for about eight years of my life. I actually worked with many of them. And so we ate lunch together. I saw them every day. I saw them every day, but Saturday, unless we were renovating the church, then I saw them on Saturday too. But we, we, we didn't just sit in the same building together once a week. We journeyed for quite a few years. And one of the things I've come to realize is that, that you cannot have community without journeying together. As a church, I think it's imperative that we do not limit who we are. We do not limit what we do to the production of a program and a Sunday service. The church has to reach out way further than that with each other. See, a pro we, programs are good. Sunday service, I mean, when you think about all the work, when I think about all the work that Chad and Ryan and the team do to get this for you to enjoy, it is staggering. And so Sunday morning's good. But we need to go much further. You see, see, community is, cannot be stagnant. It can't be one place, one way. Community, authentic community must be a journey you do with others. I was thinking about it. You know, it's the people who showed up when your kids were born and said, we're so happy. It's, 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 it's the people that stepped into your life when your marriage was, was, was falling apart. 
They are your church. No matter how many people show up on a Sunday morning, they are your church. Just because you sit beside with somebody does not mean that they are actively, functionally the church to you. It's the people who, the, 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 the tribe that are leaning into your life and journeying with you. That's your church. Francis Chen um, talks about, like he, he started a small group and, and he's a great communicator and he, uh, the small group grew to, to be a mega church. And he was talking about this one young guy who came out of the gangs and kind of wandered into the church and the church loved him and celebrated his growth, celebrated. And when he got baptized, I mean, the, the place went crazy. Time passed and, and, and Francis, uh, he, he noticed that he hadn't seen this young guy for a long time. And so he reached out to him and he said, you, 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 you are right. You haven't been around for a long time. To which the young man said, you know, the ch church people are really nice on Sunday. They treat me like family on Sunday. But my brothers in my gang treat me like family every day. And he said, and I can't, I, I, I just need to be around people that are there for me every day, not just on Sunday. And I thought about that, and I think that we need to decide individually because this church isn't about the pastors and the leaders. This church is about every one of us. And we need to decide individually if we're going to be the kind of community that knows how to be family all week. Are we going to be the kind of people that notices when someone isn't showing up anymore in our lives? When someone has distanced themselves from us? Are we going to notice when someone doesn't show up in our community? Are we going to notice when people are hurting and marginalized? Because we're supposed to be there for each other beyond the thing we do on Sunday. And what we do together gives us an opportunity to do mission together. We can accomplish things together that we could never, never, ever do on our own. Now, Judah Smith is one of the funniest, most uh, attractive young preachers on the kind of on, on the circuit these days. And City Church, uh, where, where he pastors, they, he, they did a six-week series on, uh, called The Church Like Home. And I want to encourage you to, to if, you, if you like his teaching, it's a great series. And I grabbed um, a piece of one of those talks because it gave me a really good outline for the talk that I'm doing today. And so I want to give him credit for some of the stuff I'm going to be talking about next. In Luke chapter 15, I, I, this is the coolest chapter, at least the way Judah Smith unpacked it, and I saw it in a way that I'd never seen it before. Verse one says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus speak. And this made the Pharisees and the teachers of, of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. 
Now think about that. So everything that's going to happen after this, really, whatever Jesus says after is a response to the the criticisms of the, the priests and the pastors of the first century who are saying, we don't like who you hang out with. We don't like the people that are drawn to your teaching. See, see, they don't even darken the doorway of our synagogues. Truth is, they didn't even want the people that were attracted to Jesus in their churches. Because these were sinners, people of ill repute. They didn't want them. But they're complaining to Jesus. They're not, and I suspect that underneath the, their complaints is, 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 is a frustration with Jesus because he has stepped way over established, well-established social constructs, social expectations, lines. He is way out of his league. We ministers don't do what you're doing. He's eating with disreputable people. You know what that means? In the first century, to eat with someone is to join yourself to them. To eat with somebody is to identify yourself with them. Eating wasn't just about putting nutrition into your body in the first century. It was socially declaring this person and I, we are, we're we're one. We're together. We belong to each other. That's why they said, and he even eats with them. They're basically pointing out to Jesus that, you see, you say you're the Messiah, but there, right there, we know that you're not. Because the Messiah would never eat with those people, with that crew. Those are bad people. The Messiah would never, if the Messiah came, if you were the Messiah, you would be hanging out with the people that have done the best job of obeying the 613 laws given to us in the book of Leviticus. Those are the people you would hang out with because that's who we are. And you're not hanging out with the right people. And because you're not, you're not the Messiah. And the biggest question, the biggest question in the New Testament surfaces right here. And Jesus responds to their complaint. And the question is, who belongs to the family of God? Jesus is saying to these ministers, these leaders, these priests, do you want to know why? I hang out with these people. Do you want to know why I call them my friends? You want to know why I eat with them? Well, I'm going to tell you. And then he begins to share this parable. And this parable, if they weren't frustrated before, they are utterly frustrated after he shares this parable with them. Because it, 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 it challenges everything that they think is the way to be. The first, there's three parables. It's really one One story in three chapters, three parables. In the first parable, there's a man, he has a hundred sheep. In the second parable, there's a woman, she has 10 silver coins. And in the third parable, there's a man who has two sons. The first parable, he says, a man has a hundred sheep. And one of the sheep goes missing. It implies that the man knows his sheep He numbers his sheep. They probably have names. He knows his sheep. And as soon as he realizes that one is missing, he goes looking for the sheep. 
And when he finds the sheep, he puts that wandering sheep around his neck, on his shoulders, and he carries them back to his flock. And while he's walking back, he sees other shepherds working, other farmers working, and he calls out to them, whoa, this sheep was lost. I found it. Come over to my place. I'm going to have a party tonight. The sheep was lost. It's found. I'm going to throw a party. <laughs> you know, I, see, I, I, was, I was reading that and thinking, yeah, I would throw a party. And the sheep would, that wandered and made me walk and hunt, it would be the main course of that party. That's what I would do. <laughs> that would be my party. And I can imagine these Pharisees listening to this story because this is, it's just so contrary to anything that they are thinking, thinking this is the stupidest story I've ever heard. And while they are standing there looking at Jesus like a cow looks at a new gate, he moves into the second story. And he said, there's a woman who had 10 silver coins and she lost one. Implies she knew her coins. She knew where they were. She knew how many she had and she lost one. And the woman, the woman drops everything and turns her house upside down until she finds the coin. She finds the coin. She runs out into the street. She goes to her neighbor. She goes, I found it. You see, the coin, a silver coin, was one day's wages. I lost my one day's wages. I found my one day's wages. And now I'm going to throw a party. Everybody come to my house tonight. I'm going to throw a party. This does not make a lick of sense. She lost one day's wages. She found one day's wages. And now she's going to spend one day's wages throwing a party because she found the one day's wages that she lost. How does that make sense? And the Pharisees are looking at him thinking, what is he smoking? And the last story is about a father who has two sons. And the one son is dutiful and responsible. And the other son is selfish, self-centered, irresponsible. And the younger son does something in this story that is so culturally disrespectful to his father. It must have received a reaction by the guys listening, the men listening to him. The son asks for his inheritance early. Dad, I know you're not dead yet, but I want you to give me what's mine, even though you're alive. And the father gives him his inheritance. And the son takes off and begins to blow in record time a life savings. He squanders it, he wastes it, and he comes home after it's all gone. And he smells like a pig. And instead of disowning this blatantly disdainful child, which is what every Pharisee in listening to him, every, every religious leader would have sent him on his way, the father embraces him. The father restores him. And the father throws a party because my son that was once lost is now found. 
And I think the Pharisees are listening to these stories. They even forgot their, the, the, the question that started the whole thing. They're thinking, these are crazy. These are irrational. You know, who would do such a thing as these three people? And Jesus is saying, you complain about who I eat with. You protest who I call my friends. But the reason these people are my friends is because I love like the shepherd. I love like the woman. And I love like the father. In fact, what you don't know is that I am the shepherd. I am the woman. And I am the father. He is drawing a picture for these people of an economy from a higher realm than they've ever imagined. And with this parable, Jesus blows away logic and rationale. And he is introducing this higher level of living, this higher level of loving to, 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 to men who have never even seen anything like this. It's called grace. It's called grace. He's saying, I do what I do because I am who I am. What I do doesn't make sense to you because it's not driven from your economy. It comes from my father's economy. It comes from his love. Who would love like that? He would. Who would love like that? I would. And the probing question really is, does the constructs of our community and when I talk about our community, I'm talking about you and your tribe. I'm talking about us as, 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 a, as a community, a growing community of faith. Do they look like what Jesus just did? Do they look like him? Do we look like the man with the sheep? Do we look like the woman with the coin? Do we look like the father with the sons? And this is the thing that Judas Smith just really gave me that I, I never saw before. He said, do, do you realize that in each of these stories, the progression is exactly the same? And we have to pay attention to the progression because it says something about the way we do our lives. Something is lost. There's a search. Something is found. There's a party. Something is lost. A sheep is lost. There's a search. A sheep is found. There's a party. A coin is lost. There's a search. A coin is found. There's a party. A son is lost. There's a search. A son is found. There's a party. It always ends in a party. See, what we do here on Sunday mornings is we celebrate. We celebrate the fact that we were lost there was a search. We were found. There's a party. I mean, the big party's coming, but, but this is a party. We are celebrating him, but at the same time, we are also celebrating. We're throwing a party for others who were lost and are found. Unfortunately, sometimes churches get stagnant and we don't we celebrate the same people for 30 years. There's no new ones. If we're going to be effective as individuals, I want us to consider these, this progression because we are called to be a people that see lostness. This is our mission, to see lostness. Do you notice when someone slowly moves out of your life, 
Do you notice when someone is wandering into some dangerous places? Do you notice when they don't show up for dinner? Do you notice the alone? Do you notice the broken? We need to. We, we, we can get so caught up in our own agendas, but we, we need to be a people of eyes to see, to pay attention, to know when one of our sheep is lost, when one of our friends is not showing up, when one of our friends is gone, one of our friends is drinking too much. This shepherd was quite amazing. He knew immediately when his sheep was gone. And we are called to be people who join the search. You know, that's our job every day, technically. That is our mission, is to do the search, is to keep your eyes open and your spirit alive for when the Holy Spirit brings somebody into your life. You know why? You are probing, you are looking, you are caring. How are you? You okay? Can I, can I encourage you today? Can I, can I give you a smile? Can I can can I do something for you today? I love the the story of the of, of the, the last one with the father. It says when the son was a long way off, the father saw him. You know what that means? Is that the father wasn't busy making money. As long as the son, his son was gone, the father would journey down the road, hoping, praying that he would see him. And when he was a long way, just a shadow, just a, a small a speck on the horizon, the father saw him. And he ran to him. And I love that he ran to him. When you see people that are hurting and broken and alone and lost, are you running to them? Are you turning your entire schedule upside down to send a text, to make a phone call, send an email, make a contact with someone that is lost, alone? That's what the story's talking about. And then we're called to be people who understand what it means to be found. I love that. Everyone's welcome. Nobody's perfect, and anything is possible. Man, we being found. And then we celebrate. And then we celebrate. We celebrate with hugs. We celebrate with coffee. We celebrate with worship. We celebrate. We celebrate. We celebrate their foundness. We celebrate his faithfulness. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Uh, about a month ago, a young fella, a young man uh, was talking to me. And he said, about a year ago, he's here from here in Kelowna. He said, about a year ago, I, I had a disagreement with my pastor. I wanted to do something, and he said it was not a good idea, and I said he was wrong. And, and, and I got my feelings hurt. And he said, so, so I just thought, screw you, and I'm out of here, right? Because that's the mature thing to do. And, um, and then he said, and I just got so angry. I was so mad. He said, I went on social media, and I just began to diss the pastor and diss my, the church I was from and just talk. You know, I mean, really, where's, you know, how does Jesus look like that, right? And he said, and I, and I said some really terrible things. He said, I was gone for... 
He said it was almost a year. And I was just angry. And then one day I bumped into that pastor, my pastor, my old pastor in Costco. And I knew that he knew he'd, all that I'd said. And I thought that he was going to come over and thump me. But he came over and he said, I'm so sorry that you're hurting. And I'm so sorry for any hurt that I may have caused you. Please forgive me. Please forgive our church where we let you down. He said, I should have actually come looking for you much sooner. And I apologize for that. And, the, and the, this young man said, I couldn't believe it. He, he should have been angry at me. He should have been, I, I've done terrible things. And he's the one apologizing. And then he said, two days later, a friend from that church texted him, says, I, I just miss you. Let's go hang out. And in the same week, on, that, on, on the following Sunday, he, uh, he was dropping a friend off at his house, just drove him home, and he was in the community of the church, and he thought, you know what, it's 11 o'clock. And he goes to the church, he doesn't even know why he's there, and he's sitting in the parking lot in his car, when, when one of the guys who's having a cigarette sees him, recognizes him, comes up to the car, they start chatting, and the guy talks to this young man and he says, come on. You know what? Let's just do this now. Why? Just come in. Just come in. Church is over. People are just milling around. Just come in. And this young man, he was, he was weeping by this time. He said, I went in. And he said, they had every right to be so angry with me. And he said, one of the leaders in the church came up. And he said, I am so happy to see you. And he hugged him. He said, and when the pastor's wife saw him, because he did some nasty things about her, and he said, she came up and she just hugged him. And he said, I was hugged over and over and over. And he said, and I was healed over and over and over. And he said, you know what? I was restored to my family. And I thought, you know, that is such a great picture of someone who was lost. And there was a search. They could have searched better. We could all search a little better. He was found. There was a party. Let's pray together. How could anybody love like that? How could anybody just forgive when you've been slandered on social media? How can, how can you do one? can only do it when you're living and operating according to the economy of another kingdom. And so, Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your love, your love. Your, it was extravagant towards us. We have hurt you. We've grieved you. And yet you continue to pour your love out on us. And I pray, Father, that our hearts would be filled with love for one another. That our hearts would be filled for the people we live beside and work beside and go to school with. That, 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 that we would fill our hearts, Father, even for those that have hurt us. Because, Father, we are the church. And I pray, Lord, that there would be nothing like work that you do through us corporately that it'd be good and it wouldn't be hurtful, that it would be healing and restoring full of power and grace 